Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? So, Jordan, the last time we were together, I talked about the cold coming in, and then we had a huge warm-up, and so I was sitting out at the soccer field this weekend sweating. Um, So I'm I'm not going to comment on the weather beyond saying it is what it is. So how are you? I'm good. I'm good. On on that, we were getting out my winter coats this weekend, so I'm I'm in a very good mood this morning. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right, so getting into James, we're talking about James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James talks about unearthly, spiritual, and demonic wisdom leading to jealousy and selfish ambition. The language kind of reminds me of the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, do you, you know, we don't really know, but do you think that James could be thinking of the fall here? Well, I think the effects of the fall are so wide reaching, so, um, so evident in every issue that we deal with in life. And so certainly I think that this goes back to, um, what happened in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve, who they had it all, they, they had God, they had creation and they had joy and they, uh, chose to go for that which they felt like they did not have. And uh, I think that, that there is definitely a sense in which the fall influences the wisdom that we seek to embrace today. Yeah. And speaking of demonic wisdom, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on Satan. In particular, what, what causes Satan to be Satan? Why does he tempt Adam and Eve then? Why does he tempt us now? Why does this angel rebel against God? Yeah, that's a great question. And I actually spent a lot of time studying this um, in the last leg of my education. Um, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Satan, the actual word means adversary. Um, Satan is called a liar and the father of lies, that when he lies, he is speaking his native tongue. And everybody has a native tongue. And when we speak our native tongue, we speak more quickly and naturally and fluently. And so therefore, Satan, when he lies, he is speaking quickly and naturally and fluently and frankly, believably. Um, He's also known as the accuser of the brethren, meaning that he is the one who hurls accusations at God's people. Um, Not only uh, to us, but even before God. Uh, if you think about uh, even Job, uh, mm-hmm. God said, have you considered my servant Job? And, and, and Satan was accusing even Job. Yeah, he's got everything. You know, strike him and he will curse you. Well, okay. And Job still didn't curse him. But nevertheless, Satan is seeking to accuse God's people even before God. We have Satan who is a fallen angel, and that's exactly what he is. I think it's an important distinction to note that God is God, 
And Satan is not some sort of anti-God. In other words, Satan is in no way on par with Almighty God. Um, God created Satan. God created Satan as an angel, um, an angel of light. In in Isaiah chapter 14, the the word is used, daystar, son of the dawn. Um, That Greek word, heosphoros, was translated into the Latin Vulgate as Lucifer, which is where that name, that proper name that, that often is ascribed to Satan comes from. But Satan is an angel who fell. Therefore, Satan is a created being. Uh, God is the creator. Satan is created. So Satan is limited. That just as all other created beings are limited, God is infinite. He is omnipresent, omnipotent, uh, omnipotent, but omnipotent, and, and omniscient. He, he is all places. He can do all things, and he knows all things. That is not the case with Satan. Satan is limited in time and space. And so though he is an angel who has fallen, uh, he is still limited. So I always like to say it's probably not Satan who caused your car not to start this morning. Mm. He's probably got bigger fish to fry. Now, could there be demonic influence? Of course, there were angels who fell alongside Satan. That's the, that's the, the, the first part of it. And from that comes the question, how then could a a creature created by God and called good, how could that creature turn against God and become evil? Well, Augustine had an interesting view of this. Augustine said that God creates finite beings um, which are limited. So God is infinite. His creations are finite. He is unlimited. He is limitless. His creations are limited. And Augustine said a limited, finite being could begin to want something that it perceives that it lacks. Hmm. And he said, so Satan then, when surrounded by good, could begin to want that which he lacked. And what did he lack? Well, he lacked the glory of God. God alone is is uniquely glorious, the pinnacle of all glory. And we get a couple of glimpses in the Old Testament as we look at Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, We have in Isaiah 14 a prophetic lament over the fall of the king of Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel 28, we have um, a lament over the prince of Tyre. But often in, in the Old Testament especially, but in Scripture, Things have a typological meaning in addition to a more concrete meaning. Mm -hmm. So Isaiah, the prophet, is talking about the king of Babylon, but there's some sense in which you could absolutely say that this is also uh, truth that applies to Satan. And Ezekiel 28, same sort of thing. Prophet is making a a lament over the um, prince of Tyre. And again, this typological reading would allow us to say, well, this is... This is talking about the the Prince of Tyre, but also uh, about Satan. And so these are very interesting passages. I ended up doing a whole lot of writing about that uh, that we can maybe discuss on a different podcast because it's very, very interesting. Yeah. But the bottom line is that both of these passages indicate that Satan's primary sin was that of pride, specifically wanting to be in the place of God. And you know what's interesting? We all follow that same pattern. Mm-hmm. You know what leads me into sin is my desire to break free of the fetters, the the, the change that I perceive are being imposed upon me by God, so that I can do what I want, and I can be in charge of me. Well, what we don't understand is that in the boundaries God has given us, there is great freedom, for there is life, 
Um, so, so Satan, to put it in today's vernacular, has a chip on his shoulder. And all he wants to do is rob God of his glory, and he wants to steal and kill and destroy in the lives of human beings. Uh, he wants to tempt. He wants to bring destruction. He wants to hide us from the logical consequences of our actions um, so that we will continue engaging in those actions, and then the consequences come upon us, and and there's some sense in which that uh, is pleasing to him. It, it's really sick and twisted. Uh, when our world embraces wisdom that is not from God— it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is indeed demonic, because as the Proverbs say, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death, and Satan is all about death. So the way I think about some of these things is that God created us to be humans, and that's a very specific role, it's to be tenders of the earth. Mm -hmm. And then God created angels, and they're supposed to be ministering servants who do very specific things. And when the two get confused, then that's when you start to have problems. So when Satan's like, oh, human beings, you should really be trying for more. You should be trying to do things that are heavenly up here and not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. It, it, is that on, on track? Is that kind of where confusion comes in? Yeah, so the idea, I mean, the Bible even says that we who are in Christ will sit in judgment over the angels. Yeah. So um, there is a future, and, and Satan knows the Bible. He doesn't know all things, but he knows the Bible better than any of us and can misquote it with the best of them. So I think there is some sense in which he recognizes that even we little humans um, will, in Christ, um, somehow, according to Scripture, sit in judgment even over the angels. And so there probably is just this, this sense of jealousy. You know, it's interesting that James lumps all this in, this sense of jealousy of, I am not. You know, if God is I am, I think Satan's probable continual sentiment is I am not, and I'm mad about it. Wow. And so, I, you know, that can put you in a pretty dark place pretty quickly. Well, and so going to a spinoff question, but one that's a little bit more practical, I, I loved what you said on Sunday about learning about humility and learning how selfish we are and how we are jealous of others, first by getting a roommate or getting a spouse, and then if that doesn't correct you, then getting a child, because <laughs> you'll learn humility through all of those steps. I've found that along the way. Yeah. Do you have some practical tips for growing into each of these roles? So <laughs> I grew up as an only child. All right? I have a brother who's in heaven before me, um, but I grew up all by myself, and so um, that gives you a unique perspective on the world, um, and you don't have to share with another peer you know, you got to share with your parents, but you don't have to share with another peer. Well, then I went to college and moved in with a guy. And I'm telling you, it was an adjustment yeah. that I have certain ways that I like to do things. And he had certain ways that he liked to do things. And those ways were different. And you find you're, you're, you're kind of noticing that it's grating on your nerves a little bit. So um, – I think that the answer to all of that, the bottom line, is just humility. Mm. You know, as, as I'm living with my roommate in college, you know, I'm thinking about Jesus in John chapter 13 as he is washing the disciples' feet. He said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And boy, that's, that's a humbling posture to be in, that I will humble myself 
and that I will consider my roommate's feelings. Well, then you get married. I'll tell you this. When I was uh, not very long into ministry, I did a lot of couples counseling, a lot of marriage counseling and things of that nature. And I had a couple come to me and they were six months into their marriage and they were like on the verge of throwing in the towel. Mm. And the key thing they fought about in front of me was toothpaste. Mm. <laughs> he wanted Crest. She wanted Colgate. And they, I mean, that was just, that was a symptom of how divided they had become over what <laughs> they thought, we should be on the same page here. We should both use the same brand of toothpaste. And I'm like, guys, buy two different types of toothpaste. And, and you know what's funny? So I got married, and my wife and I had the same thing. She's a Crest person. I, well, I don't want to, this is not a commercial, but nevertheless, <laughs> she's a Crest person. I'm a Colgate person. And she's like, you should use Crest. And I'm like, well, you should use Colgate. 17 years in, we're still buying two different types of toothpaste, and, and we'll continue to do so forever because she's wrong. Um, but the idea <laughs> is that you have to humble yourself. And, and for me, as a husband, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the verse that I have to go back to as a husband. Love my wife, how? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. Mm. And so over the years, there have been times where job offers have come or opportunities have come that were... They were good for me, but they were not good for her. They were not good for us. They were not good for our family. Well, the biblical call to me is to lay down my life for those that God has entrusted to my care. Was I happy about it? Not in the moment. No, <laughs> it was not pleasant in any regard. Um, but I always tell husbands that husbands to be in in, in premarital counseling that look. There's going to come a time where you have to lay down your desires for what is best for your bride, what is best for your family. And that's just that's part of God's call on your life. And, and so, uh, again, it's, it's humbling myself. And then with kids, my goodness gracious. Um, <clears throat> you know, Jesus said in John 15, 9 to his disciples, he said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And in God we have the perfect parent. So God sends his Son he loves his son. Jesus passes that love on to his disciples. Our call is to love our kids. I now have a 14-year-old and a soon-to-be 10-year-old, and they are in that transitional moment of moving from childhood into adolescence. And I'm going to tell you, they always told me when my kids were really little, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and there's some sense in which that's accurate. I think one of the uh, the key examples is what happens when everybody in the house gets sick. Yeah, you know, and we've had that happen. You know, germs can can pass through a house pretty quickly, and mom and dad still have to take care of the kids. I mean, you know, and and you may be <laughs> nearly crawling to take care of the kids, but you know, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to look beyond yourself. Um, these, these little creatures that God has entrusted to your care, um, they need you. They can't function without you. And so you got to deal with it. And the key issue to which I constantly have to return personally is, okay, 
I will humble myself. <laughs> Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so in this moment, I will serve. I don't want to serve. I want to serve me. I want to, you know, I want to go in my bedroom and close the door and block the world out. Um, right. But God hasn't called me to this in this moment. And, uh, and then there's also the humility of recognizing that we have all been served in that way. And should we live long enough, we'll have to be served in that way by our kids very likely one day. So um, there's humility abounding in that situation. Yeah, I heard it put once that it's easy to grasp the idea of giving up your life for your family, but it's hard to grasp living for your family. Yeah, that's right. right. That's exactly right. There's some sense in which it's easier to say, yes, if an intruder came in, I would get between the intruder and my family. Um, But when it's just... I want to do this and they want to do that and what they want to do is better for our family as a whole. So I have to give up on what I want to do. That gets tough after a while. So that'll take us into our listener question for today. Listeners, if you have a question about the Christian walk, about the sermon from Sunday, just submit it with the form in the description or write it in the comments below. So Jeff, how do we curb selfish ambition and be content with who we are and what we have? This is a great question, and I want to make an important distinction. I always tell folks that, you know, we have in our English Bible a great and trustworthy source, but sometimes it's helpful to go back to the original language. So Mm -hmm. we use the ESV translation. Uh, The term ambition appears in the New Testament five times in English in the ESV, but it's two different words. Hmm. One word is used four times in the ESV, are translated to be ambition four times in the ESB. Another word is translated one time. The two words are these. The first is erytheia. Erytheia is what is often translated selfish ambition. So when when James in James chapter 3 is talking about selfish ambition, this is the word that he, he's using, and it means ambition, rivalry, self-seeking, or self-interest. So this same word is translated in other ways in various other um, passages of Scripture, particularly in the ESV. So in Romans 2.8, it says, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but they obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Philippians 1.17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me, Paul writes in my imprisonment. Then Philippians 2.3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then we have the two uses in James. So again, that word, erythea, is, is self-seeking ambition. I am, I am selfishly seeking um, to lift up myself, to get my own glory, to get my own notoriety, to serve me. The Bible strictly prohibits that. The other word that is translated one time as ambition in the ESV uh, is philotimeomai. Philotimeomai. It means to be zealous, to strive eagerly, or to desire very strongly. So it's, again, in the ESV, translated as ambition once in Romans 15, 20, Paul says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But there are two other times that word appears in the New Testament in the Greek, and it's translated differently. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please God, our ambition to please God. Mm. And then 1 Thessalonians four eleven. 
that we should aspire to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, and to work with our hands as we instructed you. So that word is there translated aspire. So ambition is not necessarily bad. Selfish ambition is bad. Mm. And what's the difference? Well, I think, again, going back to humility and surrender and submission to the Lordship of Christ, I ought to have a godly ambition to proclaim Christ. I ought to have a godly ambition to use the gifts, talents, abilities, and resources that God has given me for His glory and the good of others. So, for example, we broadcast every week, and you are intimately involved in that broadcast, as am I. Um, And we want our audience to be as big as possible. But we don't want our audience to be as big as possible so everybody thinks that Jeff Reynolds is great or Ricky Clark or any member of the choir or any instrumentalist or Bryson on the organ or Andrea on the keyboard or the piano. We we don't want our glory. That's not what we're going for. We want our broadcast to be as big as possible so that as many people as possible have an encounter with the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what we want to do. So we are ambitious in that. Um, but I think we have to constantly be on guard against our good ambition, our philotometomai, if you will, turning into Erethea, this selfish ambition where I am looking to magnify myself, promote myself, do good to myself. Um, so I think that's the difference. Now, where do I find contentment? I find contentment in the fact that I am being faithful now. And if I will be faithful now, then God will take me to what's next. Um, the way Tommy Nelson, who's the pastor of Denton Bible Church, learned it and, and passed this on, and this speaks to me, he said when he uh, first got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ years and years ago, uh, he said that he, he asked his mentor, how do I discern God's will for my life? And his mentor said, don't worry about it. He said, do God's will. God will take care of his will for your life. And what that means is, do the right thing now, according to Scripture now, as you're led by the Spirit now. Do it now. God will take care of what's next. And so you trust Him in this moment. You follow Him in this moment. You do what you can do now, and then let God take care of what is coming next. So again, it comes back to it's not a bad thing to have ambition, but I don't want my ambition to become selfish ambition. I think one of the dangers in the social media age is it's so easy. That line is so blurry between what is promoting Christ or what is using my gifts, talents, and abilities in a way to glorify God and bless others versus I'm trying to get likes for likes' sake or follows for follows' sake for my glory. So I think it's it's inward, and we constantly have to check ourselves. Um, and humble ourselves and surrender again to the Lordship of Christ. So in some sense, it's being ambitious and content in the role of a created being proclaiming the Creator rather than being ambitious toward creation. That's a great way to put it, man. That's good. All right. You ought to write that down. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for listening today. We remind you to keep it fresh with Crest or Colgate because they're our sponsors for today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's not true. Oh, man. But if they want to send us money, you know, whatever. Hey. <laughs> Jeff, do you mind praying us out today? I'd love to. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for your kindness toward us. Lord, we don't ever want to 
slip into self-centeredness. And Jesus, you have shown us the perfect example of humility and service to others. So help us be like you. Help us humble ourselves because we know who we are, whose we are in Christ, and where we are headed so that we do not have to get ahead of the pack because, Lord, you've got us in your hand and you'll get us where we need to be in your time. Help us to be faithful to do your will in this moment, to humble ourselves and continually surrender ourselves to your lordship in our lives, to trust you and to follow you. And we pray that everything we do would glorify you and be a blessing to those around us. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.